Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed, so enjoy this message. I wanna take just a few minutes today um, I got about an hour and a half with you, and uh, no, I don't. Some of you are like, like, what church did I walk into today? No, just give me about 30, 35 minutes. I want to just uh, talk to you about the tests of stewardship, the tests of stewardship. Give you a little note sheet, take some notes, write some things down, write it on your hand, um, fake it, you know, write, play tic-tac-toe, whatever you do, um, write some things down, and uh, you'll learn more if you write it down, you, you retain a lot more. You know, do you know that you retain up to 80% if you participate? If you say amen, two things happen. Number one, you remember more. And number two, I finish faster. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Thank you very much for your enthusiasm there. All right. Matthew chapter 6 is the verse that we've been talking about. And I want to start here. Jesus is telling us something very important. This is our foundational verse for the entire series. This is the last installment of this series, and then next week we're starting a brand new season, a new series called uh, White Elephant, and basically we're talking about the things that you don't want, you unwrap that you don't want, that we need to give back, anger, oppression, depression, panic, anxiety, we're going to spend the whole month talking about that, return to cinder, look at your neighbor, say return to cinder, return to cinder, all right. Verse 31, Jesus says, therefore, do not worry. Somebody say, stop worrying. Stop worrying. Well, how do you do it? He says, says, look, stop worrying about what you eat, what you drink, or what you wear. Because after these things, people who don't have a relationship with God, Gentiles, they seek after these. Your God, your heavenly Father, knows that you need all these things. I love that phrase. I love the fact that my dad is always looking out for me, that he's always caring for me, that he always wants to provide for me. He is my Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. He's going to meet every need that I have, even before I ask. Now, i got to ask because that's faith. Faith faith asks. Faith takes that step. Faith takes action. So how do we stop worrying? Here's how we do it. We make the great exchange. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So instead of worrying, you worship. That's what you have to do. You have to decide, I'm going to worship instead of worrying, because you can't do both at the same time. And so I looked up this word seek this past week, and I was just studying this word seek, and the word seek means to pursue with the intention of actually getting it. I think sometimes we go after things with God in hopes that we would receive it, wishing that we would receive it, when in reality what Jesus is telling us is that in order to make this exchange, to get worry out of your life, and let me tell you something about a command. When, when the Bible says that you, you shouldn't worry, this is not a suggestion, this is a commandment from God. Whenever God gives us a command, he always gives you the grace to do it. And so the grace is present when you decide. So should you decide today to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Now, what does that mean? Notice he says two things. There's two things that we are uh, supposed to pursue with intentionality to receive. First is the kingdom of God, which is a heavenly understanding. The second thing is his righteousness. Not my righteousness, not your righteousness, but his righteousness, 
which is a holiness in the way. So a heavenly understanding and a holiness in the way. So we're to seek after that. Now, there's something important that Jesus lets us know. You can't, if you, if you aren't, it, let, me, let me say it this way. I'm trying to figure out how to say it the best way. Either you're seeking God or you're not. There is no middle ground. Either you're seeking God or you're worrying about things. Either you're doing it God's way or you're doing it the world's way. There is no standing still. There is no complacency in the kingdom of God. There is no way of, because if you stop moving towards God, the Bible tells us that he stops moving towards us. The Bible says draw close to God and he will draw close to you. So think about that. Every step I take closer to God, I'm seeking God. What does he say? I'm going to come closer to you. So if I take a step towards God, then he'll take a step closer to me. If I stop moving, does God keep moving? No, not according to that scripture. It doesn't say he keeps moving towards us. As a matter of fact, if we stop as believers, if we stop moving towards him, he stops moving towards us. Now, I, I believe that there are two ways to live your life, two ways to live your life, two ways to handle life, either the world's way or God's way. I like to define the world's way as this, and, and, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Come on, anybody doing that? Just be honest. Come on, in church. Remember, if you ain't honest in church, God will kill you. <laughs> Acts chapter 5. Just read it. Just read it. I didn't, I didn't write it in there. So another way to say that is we do things we don't need to do to impress people we don't even like. Well, that's not a way to live. Nobody wants to live that way. So what is God's way? What is God's way of living? Well, one understanding of God's way of living is to know our position in the kingdom of God. See, I believe when it says to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it means first and foremost, we need to understand our position. Everybody say position. position. We want to know our purpose. Matter of fact, the, the greatest question that we all want to know is why, why am I here? What, what is my purpose on this planet? Well, can I tell you that in order to discover your purpose, the first thing you need to understand is your position. Position comes before purpose. If you want your purpose, then know your position. What is your position in the kingdom of God? You are called to be a steward, a manager. God has put you on this planet and given you resources. Everything that you have is given to you to steward. To steward for what? For your next life. You have a future. A, a, a lot longer future than on this planet. And, and let's be honest. We spend a lot of energy and effort trying to, trying to do something that really is only going to affect about 100 years of our actual life. When in there is an infinite number of years called eternity. Let me say it to you another way. God gives you the resources to test you. To, to help us prepare for eternity. Everything that you deal with in life right now, everything that you deal with in life has been given to you so you could steward it, so you could manage it for the purpose of preparing you for your eternity. And so your position, where you stand. Here's the way, here's the way that, that God says it in Luke chapter 12, verse 42. He says, who then... That's us. Who then is that faithful and wise steward? Everybody say steward. It means manager. Whom 
his master, God, will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in their due season. Season. We all have seasons in our life. Some of you are in a season right now. Some of you are in a transition from one season to the next. Well, every new season comes with more influence and more resources. Every new season. I believe that the mark of a new season is your ability, my ability to steward the resources in the previous season. So if I want to get promoted to the next season, if I want to go to the next season, then I better make sure that I know how to manage what's been given to me in this season. Because the purpose is going to be expanded even more. Now, one of the things that Jesus does, he doesn't just leave us hanging with that. He, he gives us a, a couple parables in the scriptures to help understand what it looks like to be a steward. And one of those parables is found in Luke chapter 16. And, and if you've ever read this before, um, this is a challenging parable because it involves a boss and an employee. And the employee is about to lose a job. How many of you have ever been fired before? Raise your hand if you've ever been fired. It's okay to be honest. I've been fired. I, I, I got fired one time because I took for granted my position, right? I, I thought, this is the way I thought about the job. You need me. <laughs> I found out really quickly how bad they needed me when they said, you fired, Bubba. And how many of you know you can't adult very good without money? Anybody ever figured that out? (laughs) It's hard to pay bills when you ain't got a job. And so I didn't have a job, and I thought, you know, and my family, my my mom and my my, uh, grandparents, they they, they said, you got to get a job, boy. I'm not paying your bills. You got to get yourself a job. And so I learned really quickly that if I take a position somewhere, then I understand that it is a blessing. I was watching a guy the other day, um, you know, do the carpets. And I could tell he wasn't very, having very much fun. He was doing these steps. It was eight floors of carpets in this hotel I was staying in. And he was on, like, uh, floor number four. And I just stopped. And I said, so how's it going, man? He goes, man, this job sucks. And I said, I said really? He goes, yeah, I started on level eight. And I got to go all the way down. I got to do this. And I looked at him. I said, well, at least you got a job. I said, you getting paid for it? And he goes, yeah. And I said, that's pretty good. And he looked at me, he goes, you know, you're kind of right. Like, you're actually, I, I'm thankful that I got a job. I said, you could be out there begging, or you could be actually working to earn a living. And he said, you're right. And the next few days, I was at the hotel, I watched him work his way down. And then I saw him on the last one. I said, aren't you thankful that you're finished? He goes, yeah. He goes, but that means I got to get another job. <laughs> mm. so, so don't take for granted what's in your hand. Don't take for granted what you've been given right now because what's next is based on how you handle what's in your hand right now. And I know we all want something next, right? We want something better, don't we? Come on, that's good. Come on, good God. I'm preaching good. Let me amen myself. Amen, Pastor Troy. All right, so let's get to this parable. Let's see what the Bible says about this. So whenever you look at a parable, remember, we want to answer some questions and make sure that we understand where this is going. And the first question is, who is Jesus talking to? And he tells us right off the bat. He also said to his, say it with me, disciples. Who are his disciples? That's us. We're his disciples. He wasn't just talking to a crowd of people that were surrounding him. He talked differently to them. He talked real plain to his disciples. And so he tells a story. He says, there was a certain rich man. Now, Really key here, and I didn't say this in the other services, 
When he says there was a certain, this means this is a real story. It doesn't say the kingdom of heaven was like. This is a real story. This actually happened, and Jesus is giving them an onlook of what actually happened. He says there was a certain rich man who had a steward. So it was a guy who had some money, he had a business, and he hired a manager. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Look at your neighbor and say, uh-oh. He's about to lose his job. He's about to lose his job. So he called him into the office. How many of y'all have been called in the office before? You get nervous when you get called in the office? Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of the boss around here, and so when I call people in my office, I let them know right up front, you're not in trouble. Like I tell them, hey, listen, if I make an appointment with them, I say, hey, you're not in trouble, but I do want to talk to you. If I take you out to lunch or coffee, you're fine. Like, you're, you're good. If I call you in my office, there's potential. Like, it's 50-50. Either you are in trouble or you're not. But I'm usually going to tell you if you're not in trouble. Um, if you are in trouble, I'm not going to tell you. And I'm going to make you think about it for a little while. Isn't that bad? Isn't that terrible? But I learned a long time, good leaders have people be retrospective. They need to look inside. And so they might beat themselves up for a couple days. But it's good because they're going to figure out where the mistake is. And so if I don't tell them in advance, they're like, they're like sweating for two days. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Pastor Troy wants to talk to me. Pastor Troy wants to talk to me. And, and you know, if you're going to lose your job, you pretty much know you're going to lose your job. And, you know, we don't fire people around here that often. <laughs> it has happened. I mean, be honest, it has happened. I mean, it is a church. We are being good stewards of the income that comes in, right? That's a smart thing to do. Can I get an Amen. All right, you want people here that are actually doing their job. Hello. All right, just making sure. 11.15, y'all awake out there. Um, so, so, so he calls him in his office, and you know he's nervous, but he knows what he's done wrong. He knows that there's been accusations about him, so he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management. I want to see how you're doing with what's been given to you. You know, God does that to us often. He tests us, which we're going to look at, on how we're doing with what he's given to you. Let me ask you, how you doing with what God's given to you? Because everything you have has been given to you. It's on loan. It's meant to test you. Everything. Everything. Not just the things that you see, but the talent that you have, the gifts that you have, the influence that you've been given. And so, so he says, listen, I, I, I want give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. You fired. So then the steward said within himself, what am I going to do? For my master's taking the stewardship away from me. I can't dig. I'm ashamed to beg. Ah, I got an idea. I've resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Okay. Now he has a plan. Here's his plan. Verse 5. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? Then he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill. I'm going to give you 50% right off the top. You get 50 off right off the bat. What? Okay. Write down. Then he said to another, how, how much do you owe? So he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write down eight. I'm going to give you 20% right off the top. Man, the guy was just basically ripping his boss off. Right? 
Like these guys owed his boss money. Notice what the boss said. Now, this is where the, the parable can get confusing if you don't know the intention of what Jesus is trying to get across. So he says, so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So let me ask you the question. Why did the master commend the steward? Did he commend him for being dishonest? No, no, no. He commended him because he had vision. He saw that he was about to lose his present position. And he needed to make sure that his future position would be taken care of. Now, this is what stewardship is all about. Is God giving you something to, so you can use it to prepare your future? This is, this is an Eastern mindset. Easterners, when this Bible, the book was written not in the United States. Did y'all know that, by the way? This Bible was not written in the United States. We think Western. We, we, think, we think entitlement. <laughs> That's the way this country is. We think we deserve it. You know, why are you firing me? Why are you getting rid of me? You need me. That's the, but that's not how this guy thinks. He realizes that in order to make sure his future is better than his present, he better send something ahead. And so, there, so he gets his debtors. And he says to his master's debtors, you have 100, I'll give you 50. You have 100, uh, 80, I, I, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll take 20% right off the top. And this is so important for you and me. This is the test of stewardship. Are you looking to your eternity? What are you giving to? This is, this is a big deal when it comes to giving. I challenge anybody who's giving to a cause that doesn't have eternal value. Because it means nothing. You know, well, we're feeding people in this country. Yeah, but you're not giving them eternity. You're giving them a, a very small thing when in reality what you could give them is Jesus. See, if you really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then you will never as a Christian give towards something that doesn't preach the gospel to every person. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm slinging today? Because... That, that's, so so I, know, I know you get motivated by little puppy dog eyes and songs on television and, oh, this person is this and this and this. And, and if you could just give $10 a week, then we'll feed them for the rest of their life. Yeah, but what happens when they die? Do you want to just put something in their belly or do you want to introduce them to their maker? Because that's where our influence. So think about that. In regards to what has been given to you. Are you taking all the resources that God has given you? And are you building your kingdom or God's kingdom? So, what did, this, what did the steward have? I would, I would put to you that he had vision. He had vision. He understood vision. He understood, I've got to make a better place for me in the future. And can I just say something to you right now? That, that, that your best days are ahead of you. And can I just say something else? Stop beating yourself up. You're doing way better than you think you are. Amen? Come on, point at your neighbor in the face and say, you're doing way better than you think you are. Quit beating yourself up. Quit doing it. Why are you talking so bad to God's creation? 
You were fearfully and wonderfully made. So, you know, talk good to yourself. Don't, be, don't make negative confessions over yourself. Because you, you're doing way better. Think about where you should be and where you really are right now. Some of y'all should be in jail right now. Let's be honest. You should be all locked up in jail. But the Lord done saved you. All right, so he had vision. He had vision. Vision has three components. Write these down. Write these three components down. Every vision, first of all, has hindsight. Hindsight. I'm going to say something really strong to you. Experience is not your best teacher. It's not. Evaluated experience is your best teacher. You can't change your past. You can't. And some of us in this room, let's be honest, some of us watching online right now, you think that you can change what you did yesterday. You can't. You cannot change what you did yesterday, but you sure can learn from it. And you can make sure you don't repeat it again. Or if it was really good, <laughs> make sure you repeat it over and over and over again. And so, so we have to, first of all, vision always has hindsight. It's always evaluating my yesterday and today to make a better tomorrow. That's what hindsight is all about. Second component of vision is foresight. This steward had foresight. He didn't see his losing his job as an obstacle. He saw it as an opportunity to sow to his future. And so he had foresight. He was able to see into the future. Now, you can't do this with the two eyes on your face. Okay? You can only do this with God's help. And God will. Listen to me. God will help you see into the future. Matter of fact, he promises it. He gave us a person that will help you see the future. His name is the Holy Spirit. He said he will, he will help you see things to come. Remind you of God's words in your life. Third thing, third component is insight. Insight. This is what, what we call wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. We please God with our faith, okay, but wisdom is number one. Wisdom is the most important thing that we can have. Godly wisdom is the most important thing. What does that mean? That means that we're listening to the voice of God. He is the spirit of wisdom. That's his name. He's the spirit of peace, but he also is the spirit of wisdom. Meaning that whenever you get in a situation, see, a lot of people get mad at God because they took wrong steps of faith. So they moved out. Faith always has work. So they moved out in a direction without wisdom. If you have wisdom first, it'll save you a lot of time and energy and, and, and misuse of your faith. Are you following me? Okay, so, so we step out in wisdom. Or, or else the whole book of Proverbs will be written about faith. If faith was was the most important thing, then the whole book of Proverbs would have been written about faith, but it was written about wisdom. So this whole book was devoted to help you. That's why, that's why I believe God divided it up into 31 chapters. One chapter for every day of your life. I just put forth, hey, every day, if you're going to do anything, read a chapter of the book of Proverbs. Every day. Get some wisdom. 
Wisdom for your business. Wisdom for your family. Wisdom for your marriage. Wisdom for your character. Wisdom for your money. Wisdom for your job. Wisdom, wisdom for, for everything that you need, wisdom-wise, is found, which is insight. See, see, the enemy would love to talk to you, love to direct you. And it's, and it's all about hearing God's voice. And, it, and, and listen, it's not jobs God, jobs God. It's not God's job to turn the volume up on his voice. It's our job to turn the volume down on distraction. Okay, let me say that again. Okay, it's not God's job to turn the volume up on his voice. It's our job to turn the volume down on distractions. Okay, so put the distractions aside and hear God's voice. He's loud and clear. Okay, but when everything else is kind of superseding that, we lose one-third of what vision is all about. Now, what Jesus does in the remaining verses is he gives us four tests of stewardship. So let me just spend the rest of the time talking about these four tests. And before I get into these tests, let me, let me tell you something about God tests. Tests always precede promotion. So whenever you're about to enter a new season or a, a new step, a, a, a new life, a new anything, any, any part of your destiny, any part of your, you have to go through a test. God tests. He doesn't tempt you. Okay, he tests you. Tests always draw you closer to God. Temptation always pushes you away from God. Tests provide conviction. Temptation provides condemnation. Two different things, okay? A test is something God gives you. Now, here's the great thing. Oh, I love this. I just love this. Here's the great thing about tests from God. You can't ever fail. You just retake them over and over and over and over again. You just stay in fourth grade for the rest of your life <laughs> until you pass the test. But here's the bonus. The bonus is on God tests, it's open book. And you can cheat off of people. You can look on your neighbor's paper. It's called life groups. That's why we have life groups. It's for you to get around with other people who have been through the test that you're taking right now. And you can look. Is it an A, B, C, D, or none of the above? You can say, it's C all day long. C, C, C. Pick C. You go, okay, I'm picking C. Okay, but if you, you can ask anybody. You can, that's the way God works. But if you don't pass the test, you just keep taking it and taking it and taking it. And some of us are living the same day over and over and over. Why? Because you haven't decided to pass the test yet. Okay, you keep dating the same guy over and over and over again. It has nothing to do with a guy. It has to do with you. Or the same girl over and over and over. It has nothing to do with the girl. Because it has to do with you. And so until you pass the test, guess what? You'll be dating the same person forever. Or you're going to be living the same life over. It's like, it's like uh, what's that movie? Uh, Groundhog Day. Spiritually. <laughs> that's what happens. Okay, so here, here's the test. The first one, if you want to write this down, is the least test. Now, the purpose of these four tests are to increase your stewardship, to raise your level of stewardship, because there are degrees of management. When we get to heaven, our reward, catch this, our reward will be based on how we do with what we've been given. All of us are going to be given a reward. Just, just study the Bible. It's awesome to tell. We're all going to be given a reward. 
And so the reward that we receive is based on how we do what we do with what we've been given. And so he tests us, first of all, with the little things. So here's what Jesus says. The least test is he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So how are you doing with the little things? Because we all want big stuff. We all want the big platform. But, but, but let me ask you, how are you doing with the little things? The little things are extremely important to God. Do you pick up a piece of trash when you walk by it on the street or do you just leave it there? Let me ask you, do, do you put the grocery cart away? Or do you just go, be free in Jesus' name? <laughs> Come on, don't lie in church. I already told you, God will kill you right now. Or do you just kind of pop it up on the curb and just leave it sitting right there so, you, so the person that's coming in next can't even park because the car's sitting up on there? Like you don't know what to do. I don't know how many times I've found a cart that's been freed. <laughs> whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I mean, I don't know if that's... A, and they just push it on down. Look. Just return the stinking cart. They had those little boxes in the parking lot. Just push it back in. If you feel like you want it to be free, at least let it be free with boundaries. <laughs> little things. That's a little thing. You think God's not worried about that cart? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Do you put the food back on the shelf or do you put it behind the People magazine? I didn't want this anyway. Come on, don't be lying in church now. Looking at me with those religious eyes like you ain't never done that before. Go put it back on the shelf. Yeah, but somebody gets paid to do that. Well, you took it. Put it back. My mom always told me to put things back where you got them from. Little things. I heard a story recently about uh, Jerry Rice and Barry Bonds. You, you may remember this, 80s. Jerry Rice was one of the greatest wide receivers. San Francisco 49ers, Joe Montana. I know, ladies, this is a, a sports analogy, but just hang with me just for a second. It has a point to it, okay? And so Joe, 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 Joe Montana, I mean, uh, Jerry Rice, one of the best wide receivers ever, ever, Hall of Famer. And he had a, he had a the reason why he was so good is because he had a workout regimen that was bar none, like the best ever. He had this hill that he would run up and down. Matter, matter of fact, the, the 49ers would not even publicize his workout because it was so tough and so challenging that they thought people would die if they did it. They didn't want to be liable for it. Well, Barry Bonds, who was playing baseball at the same time for the Giants, San Francisco Giants, said, hey, I want to go work out with Jerry Rice. I want to do his workout. So he shows up at the workout facility one day, and he says, hey, Jerry, I want to work out with you. And Jerry looks at him, and he goes, okay, let me see your car. Barry's like, what do you want to see my car for? What does it have to do with me working out? He goes, I just want to see your car. So he goes to his car, and he sees that, that uh, Barry has all these wrappers, like McDonald's wrappers and Burger King wrappers and bottles everywhere. And he turns to Barry, and he says, you can't work out with me. And he goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, you don't care about the little things. He, he said to him, excellence is not an, a one-time event. He goes, I want people who want to work out with me who have excellence in every part of their life, not just one part. So how are you doing with the little things? All right, test number two is the money test. The money test. 
How do you handle your money? Here's what Jesus said. He says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Okay, now when Jesus makes the statement, I want you to catch what he's saying here. He's basically saying that money is a tool that you can use to open a door to true riches. That there's something more important than money. And, and he's testing us on how we use our money. How do we see our money? Does it represent us or do we see it as a tool to be used to build God's kingdom? And so, so when my wife and I got married, we learned something very clear when it came to money. We, we, we were taught to live what's called a closed circle life. There's two ways to handle your money. You can either have open circle living or closed circle living. What is closed circle living? 27 years ago, my wife and I, we sat down and we decided how we wanted to live our life. Why? Because anything above that level of living, we wanted to give to the kingdom of God. We wanted to send it ahead. We wanted to be good stewards. We wanted to create eternity. We, we wanted to, 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 to bless God. We wanted to build his kingdom. That eternity was made way more important to us than driving a fancy car or living in a big old house. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having nice things. Nothing wrong with driving a Mercedes or driving a Jaguar. Just make sure that what you're driving is equal to what you're given. So if you're driving a Mercedes, you better be given Mercedes level of living. If you're driving a Bentley, you better be giving at a Bentley level. Come on, don't make me amen myself twice in one sermon. Because I'll do it. Don't tempt me. So you got to close the circle. you got to close the circle. So decide. You're newly married. Decide right now. Here's the kind of house I want to live in. Here's the kind of cars I want to drive. Here's the level of life. These are the trips that I want to take. Here's where I want to go. And then, then everything beyond that is margin. Now, most people in the United States do not live with margin. They live from paycheck to paycheck, credit card to credit card. They do not have margin. Their focus is not paying debt off. Their focus is really increasing more debt. And so they have all this debt that they're overwhelmed with. They can't see the light of day. And really, what debt is is spending future things. You're spending money in the future that you don't even have yet. And so look, try to get to the place where you're debt-free. Go through our Financial Peace University. Help us, let, let us help you with getting out of debt so you can have all this freedom. There is nothing more exciting than living debt-free. Oh, you, you feel so free because you're able. When God says do this, you can do it right away. When God says help this person, you go, yep, I'll help him right now. And you become more moldable and used by God, worked through by God. Now, what does a closed circle life look like? It looks like contentment. It's being content. How many of you have ever heard this verse? I can do things through who strengthens me. And we, we use that verse all the time, but many times we take it out of context. We think, oh, I can do anything. I put my mind to God. I, I can do anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you know the context of that verse? Contentment. He's talking about money when it comes to that. Here's what he says two verses late, before. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
And then two verses later, Philippians 4, 6, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul is saying is no matter what situation I'm in, I understand what I have and I can be content with what I have. How you doing with money? How how you doing with your finances? Open circle or closed circle? Here's the third one is the responsibility test. Almost done, the responsibility test. Here's what Jesus says. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Okay, so this involves what is somebody else's. Another way to define this is the rental car test. How do you treat a rental car? Man, I dogged that thing. I'm going to try to get it up on two wheels. How fast will this little Chevy Focus, this Ford Focus go? I mean, I'm tossing stuff in the back, hamburgers, hot dogs, chicken nuggets. You know why? It ain't my car. Well, be careful that you don't treat what is not yours like a rental car. Because you'll never get what's yours until you treat what's not yours like it's yours. Amen? And so, so, so what Jesus says, if you want to be a good steward, remember, these are all tests of stewardship. They're tests of values. God is checking our values. And he says, are you faithful with what is another man's? I know some of you want to own your own business. You want to be your own boss. Well, how do you treat the one you have? Are you on time to work? Yeah, but it's not my job. If I, if I had my own business, then I'd be on time. Really? Would you? Try it for a little while. See what happens. See how fast you move up the line when you start treating things like it's your own. When you start treating what somebody else is like it's your own. Be faithful. Faithful. Now, there was a word that showed up in every, three, every one of these verses that I quoted from you. Okay? 16.10, 16.11, and Luke 16.12. And the word is faithful. That should jump out the page at you. Because faithfulness is God's way of promoting us. That's how he tests us, is how faithful are you? How faithful? How, how, how much endurance do you have? So we want to be, be men and women, godly men, godly women, who are faithful with what is put in our hand. Whatever it may be, whether it's little or big, whether it's mine or yours, whether, whether it's money, unrighteous mammon, wh- whatever it may be, are you faithful with it? And then here's the last test, and then I'm done, is the loyalty test. The loyalty test. And here's what Jesus says. Here's the test. He says, no, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't have, you, you can't, this is where I started the whole message with. If you're not seeking, if you're not seeking God, there's no, there's no middle ground. Either you are seeking God or you're not. Either God's the center. Now, this has to do with lordship. Is Jesus your Lord? Again, this is a whole new level of living. We want to take our, our life to another level. This is where we exchange Jesus as our fire insurance for Jesus as my Lord. Jesus as my get-out-of-jail-free card to Jesus as my Lord. We go from believer to disciple. From Jesus as my Savior 
to Jesus as my Lord. Do you know what the word Savior only shows up 39 times in the Bible? The word Lord shows up 8,000 times in the Bible. What does it mean to have Jesus as your Lord? I just wrote down a couple of, of these. When Jesus is your, the Lord of your life, truth becomes important to you. Like you, you don't back off of the truth. The truth is real, and the truth will set you free. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, love, follow this, love motivates every relationship. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, finances become a tool to see people saved, healed, and delivered. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, decisions become easy. Why? Because he's in control. You've given him the keys of your life. You say, hey, Jesus, I'm not going to even sit in the passenger seat. I'm going to sit in the back seat, and I'm not going to tell you where to go because I trust you. When Jesus is Lord of your life, your convictions are firm, meaning that you are, are firmly founded in the rock of who Jesus is. And there's no compromise. And so when you seek God, when you go after him, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you are intentional about getting exactly what God has for your life. My position will unveil my purpose in life. And here's what Jesus said at the end. He said, but why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I say? That's what changes everything. I remember when, when Jesus changed from, because you know, I had this idea of who Jesus was. And, and for the most part, for the first few years of my life, it was more religious. He was distant. And then this question popped. Somebody, I think somebody preached a message on lordship. And I was like, man, I never really thought about it that way. Because I want to go to heaven. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. But I, but I realized that his lordship in my life started to help me understand my effectiveness as a Christian here on this earth. Which changed and blew my mind completely. Because... When we only see Jesus as our Savior, it's only about heaven. Not realizing that we have such a strong purpose right here on this earth. And when he becomes my Lord, it opens up so many different avenues to where now my life means something to other people. And I'll be honest with you, that's when I discovered I needed to be in the ministry. Because up to that point, I just wanted to be a, a, a businessman who supported ministry and then the Lord said, now I want you to do something more to impact people and lives. You know, think about, think about your role as a kingdom builder. You know, those of you that are kingdom builders here at Freedom House. Yeah, we're, we're feeding 2,400 people this week. But you know, every one of those people have a name. And every one of those names has a story. And your name is written right in that story of your generosity that right there is being a good steward that right there is using your influence to affect eternity that's what it's all about right there that is what makes a difference and that's what gets God gets God excited about what you're doing with your life amen why don't you stand up on your feet if you can would you close your eyes and just bow your head for a second and I just want to ask you a very simple question would you be willing to make Jesus the Lord of your life? Would you make this exchange from Him being your Savior to Him being your Lord? 
Would you decide right now, just say, hey, you know what, God? I know I've used you as my forgiver, which you always will be. I know I've used you as my salvation so I could go to heaven. You'll always be that. But today I want to exchange you to be my Lord, my master. I want to go from believer to disciple, from savior to Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, even online, if you're watching online, if you can, just, let's just take a moment. And I want to ask you, would you like Jesus to be the Lord of your life? If you say that's me, would you just, just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Hands up all over the room. Thank you, thank you. If you're online, just put a note in the chat section there. Let somebody pray with you online. Just raise your hand if you say yes. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm ready to give him the keys to my life, the keys to my heart, the keys to my destiny, the keys to my future, the keys to my family, my marriage, my life, my job, my future. I don't want to hold anything back anymore. I want him to have my whole heart, my whole mind, all of my strength, all of my abilities. Just say this with me, everybody in this place. Just say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus, you gave it all for me. And today, I give it all to you. Be my Lord, not just my Savior. Be my Master. I give you my life in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap.